Episode 92 of the State of the Old Republic podcast was originally recorded on January 3rd, 2019. It's the State of the Old Republic podcast. This week, Jedi Under Siege is the latest story for Star Wars The Old Republic. I'll dive into the story, characters, and more. Warning, spoilers ahead. 2019 is here. I'll take a look back at 2018 and see what kind of year it was for Star Wars The Old Republic in my year in review. And I'll make some predictions for 2019. Finally this week, SWOTOR turned 7 in December. I'll share some thoughts on just how far the game has come in 7 years. And with that, it's time to make the jump to lightspeed and check out the State of the Old Republic. Welcome to Episode 92 of the State of the Old Republic Podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and as you heard in the opening, I have another great show lined up for you today. Happy New Year to everyone. I hope you had a great 2018 and that 2019 will be even better for you. I know it's going to be a big year for Star Wars The Old Republic and for Star Wars. A new SWOTOR expansion, Episode 9, two live action series, and Star Wars Celebration. It's a lot to look forward to, but before all of that happens, I've got some stuff to cover from 2018, namely Game Update 510, Jedi Under Siege. Now I am going to get into the story today and I'm not holding back on spoilers. For what it's worth, Bioware got in on the spoiler action only a week after its release. So consider this whole episode a spoiler. If you haven't played the story yet, press stop and carve out some time to explore it. It's good. For everyone else, let's talk about Jedi Under Siege. Jedi Under Siege wasn't long, but it packed a lot into a small space. It featured separate storylines for the Empire and Republic. It introduced us to some intriguing new characters, and there were a host of returning characters, none bigger than this guy. No! Impossible! You died! I am Darth Malgus. I speak with the full power of the Sith Empire, and I am in command now. That's right, Darth Malgus is back. He's seen in both the Empire and Republic stories, although his role in the Republic story is more of a cameo. At one point in the Empire story, you actually get Malgus as a companion. It's only temporary, and I don't know if it's possible to keep him as a companion by not completing the story, something I'll have to try on a throwaway character, but kudos to Bioware for relegating his return to more than just cinematic glory. It was great to see him back in action, and it really gave the story the feel of those classic stories created for the game's launch. There is still a lot of mystery surrounding Malgus, and his return was 
definitely odd. He was sealed away in a pod that was sitting in the middle of a Jedi farm. While this lent itself to a dramatic entrance, it's a highly impractical way for the Empress or Emperor to send their prized henchmen on a vital mission. What's even weirder is the fact that Malgus may have been working in the shadows for Empress Asina for quite some time without the Dark Council or anyone in the Empire knowing. Here's what the new codex in the game had to say about Malgus. Having returned to the Galactic Stage as part of the Empire's assault on the Jedi colony of Osis, Darth Malgus has become a topic of widespread debate and investigation once more, particularly his improbable survival after his attempted coup during the Battle of Ilum. The most popular theory holds that agents of Darth Asena, then head of the Sphere of Technology, retrieved Malgus and resuscitated him, transforming the cyborg Sith into her own secret enforcer. That she gained control of an agent as deadly as Malgus would explain much about her subsequent rise to the Imperial throne. Some now theorize that Asena may even have used Malgus to eliminate her rivals on the Dark Council during the confusion of the war against Zakul, though this only remains conjecture. Lots of questions surround Malgus, and I'll have more to say on him as we get closer to the next chapter of the story. Suffice it to say, he'll play a big role in the war between the Empire and Republic. Like many of you, I'm excited to see him back. Joining Malgus were a slew of new characters. One of my favorites was Major Henri. I have to admit, I didn't expect much from her. There's no shortage of soldiers in this game, and I wasn't sure that Major Henri could offer something that we didn't already get from, say, Eric Jorgen, Major Pierce, or Sergeant Rusk, just to name a few. She was great, though. She reminded me a bit of Katha Niar from Rise of the Hutt Cartel, someone who was very capable, confident, and yet understood her position in the Sith Empire. I hope we see more of her when the story continues. Another of the new characters who surprised me was General Dayroon. In case you weren't aware, he was voiced by Darren DePaul, who brought Valkorion to life. The name Dayroon is a subtle nod to the talented voice actor who has done so much for Star Wars The Old Republic. General Dayroon was an absolute delight. He came across as someone who was groomed to lead, a strategist in an intellect, not a grizzled veteran like, say, Grand Marshal Chiquetta from Belmora. I liked him from the first moment I saw him. Ah, Commander. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me. Ardenando Dipolis de Rune. I oversee the Republic's deployments along the Parlimian Hyperroute. I only wish we were speaking in person. I just brewed a truly invigorating blend of Gatalentan tea. Do you enjoy tea, Commander? Tea wouldn't be my first choice, no. Ah, you're missing out. Trust me. I'll send you a case. You must try it. Exquisite. A beautiful planet, Gatalenta. Its people are renowned for their long and steadfast support of the Jedi. It is the Jedi I wish to discuss with you today. Then there was Jedi Master Nostaral and half-cloaked knight Tal Ildair. It was nice to see a character of Dural's pedigree make it to the game. He provided that stature to the Republic story that Malgus did for the Empire version. Tao was a battle-hardened knight whose focus on fighting pushed the envelope of what it meant to be a Jedi Knight. While she never crossed that boundary, she came close enough to engulf herself in doubt of whether or not she was worthy of being a Jedi. I absolutely love this confrontation between her and Nostaral. 
Before you go, Tao, we need to finish our discussion about your Padawan. Now? Really? This feels like a good time. It is always a good time to learn, teach, and grow. We already had this discussion, which is why I don't have a Padawan. You don't want more Jedi like me. One is bad enough. You think that if so many good Jedi die and you survive, then you must not be a good Jedi. You think that the reason you've survived your skill in battle is the only skill you've mastered, so you must be a bad Jedi. But the only lesson you need to learn is that you are more than the killer you see in yourself. Teach, and you will see just how much more. You believe in me more than anyone I've known, and, and I appreciate that, but I'm just not ready. Look, can we just... can we save this for later? The imps aren't waiting around, and neither should we. Very well. You check on the farms, I'll check on the library. And we'll meet afterward to select your Padawan. Damn it, old man. May the Force be with you. Darth Malgus wasn't the only character to make a return. There was Darth Melora, who Sith Warriors Inquisitors first met on Korriban. There was Moff Pyron, who was instrumental in the Inquisitor's rise to power. There was Jonas Balker, the SIS agent who worked with the Republic Trooper. There was NRO2, the murderous droid, allegedly, from the Black Talon. And of course, there were returning companions Nadia Grell, Doc, and Jaysa. All of these reunions come with the expected character recognition and remembrance of choices made. Take, for example, when the Sith Inquisitor greets Moff Pyron for the first time in many years. Commander, it has been far too long. Moff Pyron, is that you? Boss, I heard you had disappeared into the Outer Rim. Indeed. I'm afraid that in your absence, I was assigned to employ the Silencer fleet in a secret operation on behalf of Empress Asina herself. I understand, Pyron. I'm glad that you're well. And I have been most pleased to learn of your rise to galactic prominence. A situation has arisen, and I believe it presents an opportunity to strengthen the bond between the Empire and your alliance. A small Imperial strike team is currently engaged in a covert operation on the ancient Jedi world of Osus. I am hoping that you can provide them with some assistance. What kind of assistance? The operation is being overseen by a younger member of the Dark Council, Darth Malora, Head of Scientific Advancement. While Melora possesses a brilliant mind, not unlike Empress Asina, she has little of Asina's patience for the subtleties of military operations. Melora's objective was meant to be completed by now. Pressed to deliver results, she will likely hurl troops at the problem without regard for strategy. My finest infantry soldiers, Raven Squad, are participating in the operation. It would be a great loss to the Empire if their lives were wasted. Melora. I believe I had dealings with her on Korriban long ago. Ah, good. Then you'll already be one step ahead. I helped her undermine her superior. And I'm not sure that debt was ever fully repaid. 
Combine these small moments with the option to play the role of loyalist or saboteur, and you'll find the story is loaded with lots of reasons to play it multiple times on a variety of characters. As nice as these little details are, they provide more flavor to the story than substance. You are neither rewarded nor punished for helping or betraying Darth Melora all those years ago. The result is that the story seems to move along on rails, arriving at the same destination despite the variety of choices, including that of playing the role of saboteur. The Empire and Republic have separate versions of the story, although I no longer feel like they are two sides of the same coin. I found that the fates of the characters such as Nostoral did not entirely mesh between the Republic and Imperial versions. In the Empire story, Nostoral is either killed or captured by the Empire. In the Republic story, he ends up battered, but safely in the hands of the Republic. As I played both the Empire and Republic stories, I didn't feel like when my Sith warrior was battling his way through Osis alongside Darth Malgus that my Jedi Counselor was also aiding the Jedi to thwart the Empire's incursion. I feel like there is now just a single story that applies to whatever character you are playing on. If you play the Empire story, then you get a version of events that puts the Empire in the power position, and vice versa if you play the Republic story. This isn't new for Jedi under Siege. Bioware went all in on this idea with Knights of the Fallen Empire when they started giving us companions from other classes. That's the moment our legacies were destroyed. But that's a topic most definitely for another day. Whether you play the Empire or Republic, Loyalist or Saboteur, the story is fun and should leave you feeling good about where things are headed in the next expansion. Once you complete the new story, a brand new daily area opens up on Osis. I love the new area, although in the context of the story, it's odd that we'd be sticking around here. I felt that both the Empire and Republic were moving on from Osis at the end. Now compared to Iocath, Osis is so much better. It's not get in and get out like Xyost or CZ-198, but the missions don't drag on forever either. There are enough quick travel points to make getting around fast and easy. The missions are pretty straightforward, and individually they move quickly. There are a lot of them, though. The planet itself is gorgeous. It's the most beautiful destroyed planet in the game right now, and it's a joy to hang out there. There are two world bosses, both of which are annoying in different ways. Still, though, I find it surprisingly easy to find a pickup group to kill them on any given day. And you definitely want to defeat them each week as they are a source of data crystals which you can use to acquire the new gear. I haven't pushed too hard on the gear grind, just don't need it and thus aren't in a rush to get it. I think so far I've gotten a 252 main hand, offhand, relic, and earpiece. Should be noted right now that the set bonuses from the 252 pieces don't work with the set bonuses from the lower rated pieces. This is a bug that hopefully will get addressed soon. What isn't a bug is that the armorings, modifications, and enhancements are all tied to the armor piece that they came from. In other words, you can't take a mod or enhancement from a leg piece and put them in a chest piece. They have to go into another leg piece. According to Eric Musco, 
This is an intended change. That being said, we know there is definitely some friction from this change, so, and so keep raising your concerns slash feedback, which I can pass to the team. We have made no secret of the fact that we know we are due for some big itemization changes to address a variety of issues around gearing. Please keep telling us what you would like to see in the future from gearing and SWOTOR. We will continue to gather feedback, and as we get into the next year, we will have active conversations with you about the future gearing plans. I understand that they may want to make changes around gearing and itemization. That's fine, and with a new expansion on the horizon, why not wait until then to introduce a major change like this? I hate this change as it makes min-maxing gear almost impossible. I haven't looked at the gear from other classes, but now you're going to have to acquire pieces from other classes to min-max your gear. I don't even know if that's possible. It's a lot of additional work to what is already a slow grind. I think Bioware should remove this restriction or just make the gear optimized from the start. I'll say it again, with an expansion on the horizon, that's the time to introduce a change of this magnitude. Other than that bit with the gear, I love Osis. It's one of the best daily areas to date, and it's a nice recovery from Iocath. Two thousand nineteen has arrived, and it looks to be a promising year for the Old Republic. To understand where the game might be headed, I want to take a look back at two thousand eighteen and see just what kind of year it was for Star Wars: The Old Republic. Now, two thousand seventeen ended with a huge update that featured the United Forces campaign and the new story and flashpoint on the planet Copero. By contrast, two thousand eighteen got off to a quiet start on January twenty third with the release of Game Update 5.7, Legacy of the Creators. This major update included Skyva, the fourth boss in the Gods from the Machine operation, the return of Risha and Corso for Smugglers, and the return of Andronicus Ravel for Sith Inquisitors. There was also a double XP event that ran for a week, and that was pretty much it. In February, Bioware ran a Share the Love campaign, which rewarded subscribers with the Chist Talon Interceptor Airspeeder, and the Force Veterans Armor Set. If you recall, these items were originally rewarded to winners of the SWOTOR NVIDIA promotion that no one who played SWOTOR actually won. It was nice to see Bioware repurpose these rewards and see them get into the hands of players. On February 15th, Keith Koenig released his winter-spring roadmap for Star Wars The Old Republic. It was short and sweet and covered their plans for Game Updates 5.8, and 5.9. Game Update 5.8 Command Authority launched on March 20th and included Isaacs, the final boss in the Gods from the Machine operation. There was even an event where players could earn a special mount if they defeated Isaacs in veteran mode prior to the launch of 5.9. There were two more returning companions, Shar Zavros for Sith Inquisitors and Vector Hillis for Imperial Agents. We also got the opportunity to romance Arkin. The main feature in 5.8 was the Conquest revamp. Conquest was overhauled to incent more guilds and players to participate. Saw some tweaks as the year progressed, but overall this was a very good change to one of the game's most popular systems. 
On May 3rd, we finally got more story. The Nathema Conspiracy concluded the story that began almost a year ago on Iocath. In addition to the story in Flashpoint, 5.9 also saw the return of Felix Arezzo for Jedi Consulars and Akavi Spar in Mako for Smugglers and Bounty Hunters. On May 17th, Keith Kanig, Keith Kanig published his Summer Roadmap where he announced that the Summer of Swotor would focus on major changes to PvP. The Summer of Swotor officially kicked off on May 22nd with the start of the nightlife event on Nar Shaddaa. Then on August 7th, Game Update 592, Galactic Legend, was released. 592 featured the Rishi Stronghold, where players could run PvP events. It also had the major Warzone and matchmaking changes for PvP. It also saw the return of the public test server, and players had the opportunity to test all of these features and provide feedback prior to them going live. On September 5th, Keith Kanig published his Fall Roadmap, which focused on their plans for Game Update 5. 10. On October 22nd, Bioware released Game Update 593, which included a new Hutball map on the planet Fandon. And of course, on December 11th, Bioware closed out the year with Game Update 510, which was arguably their largest update of the year. New story, daily area, guild changes, and more. There's no question that Bioware delivered some great content to the game in 2018, the story was outstanding, the Nathema Conspiracy offered a satisfying conclusion to the Knights of Storyline, and Jedi Under Siege laid a strong foundation for what comes next. The Conquest changes have been a lot of fun, as were the PvP and Guild changes. The quality of the content has not been an issue, it's the release cadence and shelf life of it all that's a problem for the game. Systemic changes like we saw with Conquest and PvP are great, but they are soon forgotten. The story is too short, and when we only get it every six months, it feels like we're not getting any at all. Master Mode Gods, Master Mode Gods from the Machine is nice, but doesn't replace getting an entirely new operation. 2018 was good, but if 2019 is to be better, they need to release more content and on a more frequent basis. I'm just not sure they can do that. Now that we've said goodbye to 2018, it's time to look ahead to what the game might have in store for 2019. Here's what we already know. We're going to get an update later this month, which includes a new ops boss on Osis. The boss will have 258 weapons. In fact, it's already up on the PTS for players to test. Additionally, we know that we're getting a new expansion later this year. We don't have a date or any details on it right now. What we do know is that it will include more story and probably a level cap. Beyond that, I would expect there to be a new operation. The big question, though, is when. I'd like to be optimistic and think that we'll see the expansion in May or June. I think it'd make for a great summer of SWOTOR. We know that there will be a cantina at Star Wars Celebration in April, so I think that's likely when we'll get the official announcement and hopefully a cinematic trailer. 
Now, if Bioware doesn't release the expansion in May or June and goes for a fall-winter release, then I don't know what's going to happen with the game. They have to release something, and it can't be small. I think Bioware would like to avoid publishing more story before the expansion, although that's not set in stone. Remember, in 2018, we got content in January, March, May, August, October, and December. If the expansion were to launch in October, I just can't see them giving us four updates in that time like they did last year. So my official predictions are are a small update in January, an expansion announcement at Star Wars Celebration, and the expansion release in May of 2019. If any of that happens, I'll be sure to say, I told you so. This year marks the 7th anniversary of Star Wars The Old Republic. My, how time flies. The game officially launched on December 20th, 2011, but many of us got to start our journey a week earlier on December 13th. I took the day off and was surprised to learn that not all early access was created equal. Logons were staged. At 11 a.m. Eastern Time, my golden ticket arrived in my email. Your wait is over. The moment we've all been waiting for is finally here. Early game access has started and you can now begin your adventure. To start playing, click on the button below and follow the steps outlined on the page. Welcome to your Star Wars saga. I logged on immediately and have never looked back. I'm not going to go through the highs and lows and all the trials and tribulations the game has seen over the years. The expectations for the game were high though. Many were heralding it as the WoW killer. In fact, at the time SWOTOR launched, World of Warcraft was celebrating its 7th anniversary. WoW was in the middle of Cataclysm, its third expansion. It was not a popular expansion. Blizzard had also just announced its next expansion, Mists of Pandaria. Yes, Blizzard was going to Pandaland. While World of Warcraft was never in jeopardy of not turning 8, I'm not sure turning 14 was a certainty. But there it is. While Swartor may have started off on the same path as World of Warcraft, it quickly went its own way. That's a good thing, by the way. When you look at where WoW was when it turned 7 versus where Swartor is, it's clear they are now very different games. In its latest expansion, Battle for Azeroth, Blizzard put a greater emphasis on story. At 14 years, their new story is very good. At 7, Bioware still does it better. The 7th anniversary event runs until January 15th. Be sure to stop by the in-game vendor found in the crew skills section of the fleet. You can pick up all of the new anniversary items for this year, which include a Malgus statue and lightsaber decorations. You can also get many of the past anniversary items at well. I don't know if SWOTOR will reach 14, but it's definitely going to reach 8. I hope Bioware comes up with some better items for its 8th anniversary. I don't know about you but I spent most of the seventh anniversary doing this. Final note for today. So I spent some time telling you how Bioware did in 2018. How did I do? This past year, I released 27 episodes of the podcast. In 2017, I released 45. 
That's not good enough, folks, and that's all on me. I'm not big into New Year's resolutions, but I do plan to get back to my weekly releases right after I get back from vacation, which starts tomorrow. Happy New Year to you all, and thank you so much for listening. And that's the state of the Old Republic for today. Let me cut in the sublight engines and cue the music and congratulate you on surviving another half hour listening to episode 92 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and I thank you for tuning in. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, and Buzzsprout. You can also listen to the show directly from the show site, which is sotorpodcast.com. And there is an RSS feed where you can subscribe to the podcast directly. If you have a question for the show, you can email me at sotorpodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet your questions to at sotorpodcast or send me a direct message. And be sure to follow me on Twitter to get the latest information on the show. Look for episode 93 when I get back. Until then, remember the Sith Code. Take is a lie.